Investors like you have a problem. Today, most portfolios only include stocks and bonds. While it's currently performing, it's a strategy that Goldman Sachs predicted in 2023 to underperform for the next decade. Luckily, our sponsor, Masterworks Advisors, focuses on a non-traditional alternative asset, helping over 15,000 investors diversify a portion of their overall portfolios with blue-chip post-war contemporary art. Over 60% of wealth managers surveyed by Deloitte have already integrated art into their wealth management offering. And by signing up at masterworks.com slash advisors with code FREE, you can talk to a registered investment advisor representative who deals exclusively with this alternative asset class. So schedule a free same-day advisory call with Masterworks Advisors just by going to masterworks.com slash advisors and using promo code FREE. That's masterworks.com slash advisors promo code FREE. This advertisement relates to the provision of advisory services by Masterworks Advisors LLC and is not intended to offer or solicit investment in any securities and is not investment advice. Masterworks Advisors is affiliated with Masterworks. This fan base is amazing. The city of Cincinnati is amazing, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Desmond fakes a handoff right to the right. He's got all sorts of room to the 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Howdy, folks. Welcome back to Viva La Cats, the Cincinnati podcast representing the 1012 Network. I am your host, Justin Hiles, accompanied by my great friend, Steve Maurer. And as always, we are bringing you the Bearcats every single week in our weekly coverage via these episodes, as well as our post-game Twitter spaces, which you can find live just after the final whistle in the fourth quarter when Bearcats football and sometimes basketball coming up soon is playing. So be sure to check that out and check us out on all of our platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, you name it, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. We've got it all. We have the smorgasbord for you. So we're coming off the bye week. And I, I think that this is a really interesting time for the Bearcats, given where we've gone so far and what's left um, of the season. Now, the Big 12, I think, has shown that it's been very competitive. Um, and it doesn't seem like there is a clear and away winner other than maybe Oklahoma. Um, and, you know, I think that this is going to make for a very interesting season. Uh, it kind of hurts a little more when you see how toss up it is every week. And, you know, if the Bearcats can take advantage of a few games, if they could have taken advantage of a few games, we could be sitting there right at the top, um, you know, just like Oklahoma is now. So in retrospect, things like that kind of suck. But Steve, from your perspective, coming off the bye week, um, what do you think is going to be the most advantageous um, thing to improve on for the Bearcats in order to put together a couple wins and maybe turn the season around from where we're currently sitting at two and three. Yeah, I think it's really got to be the the explosive plays. We talked about it last week and where the Bearcats have not been able to do that is they've given up a few explosive plays and not, have not really been able to respond other than the pit game. So I think those are going to be big. Um, I do kind of wonder about how this team will respond after a bye week, after getting a chance to just rest and travel, uh, after traveling a long way to BYU for that game. Uh, you got Iowa State coming in this week. Iowa State has looked a lot better than maybe some of their preseason projections, including me, projected them to be. Um, so they've been looking pretty good, but 
They gave up 50 to Oklahoma. We gave up 20. So maybe our defense can come up and step up and play. Maybe being back at home, a little week off for the boys, time to recuperate and get get rested and get ready to go. Um, we're going to talk about some of Coach Satterfield's press conference this week, Justin. But I do think that, you know, we've been down on this team, but I think we're down on this team because we see how close it is. You know, mm-hmm. you could be like, Oh, I don't know. Uh, some team that wears black and gold and uh, calls <laughs> themselves either the Citronauts or the Knights, depending on how they're feeling that day. Going on the road twice to the great state, Sunflower State of Kansas, and just getting absolutely blown out in both of those games. And then giving up a 29-point uh, comeback loss. Uh, so, you know, at least you're not in that situation. You've you've lost your first two games, and you've lost a close game against Miami. But it's been two games where, you know, you, realistically, if you have a couple of things could have gone your way in any of those games, you could be five and uh, five and oh, you probably aren't going to be five and oh, you might be four and one, you know, Oklahoma, all respect to them, big win for them against Texas on Saturday. They're good. Yeah. Other than I mean, that, though, I think it's like, I think it's got to be positive, Justin, that we've come away from these games feeling like we could have won instead of just being like, oh, man, the bottom is really falling out. Yeah, and I think this is interesting too because, like you said, I mean, three games that we've you know had so far in the conference plus the Miami game, all of those are two plays away from becoming a win. Honestly, yeah. I think the Oklahoma one, there's probably a little bit more there, but at least the BYU game, definitely the Miami game. Miami, you make the kick at the end, and it's you're you're in a much right. different situation. But um, I, I did want to touch on this really quick before we jump into this week's presser. The current Big 12 uh, conference standings are a little bit different than I think people would have expected. Um, I wanted to bring this up in comparison to the preseason media polls, so I'm going to pull that up really fast. Um, But I I think that where we sit now is interesting comparatively to the rest of the teams in this conference because um, I think everybody's in a similar realm, but then at the same time, the bottom really like flip to the top and some of the top kind of flip down. Um, and yeah. of course, you know, like, like you mentioned UCF, a lot of teams are, are, uh, you know, voters were really high on, they're like putting them in the top, like six, top seven of the conference. And now UCF, um, unfortunately for those little shits sits at 14th dead last oh and three um and that's really nice to see it feels very gratifying because they talk so much trash and they just haven't backed it up and you know the kansas state game they're you know maybe a few plays away similarly there um the baylor game i you can evaluate that however you want but they're sitting at the bottom and kansas a team that you know nobody was really high on is sitting in the top four you have yeah. a Texas Tech who, you know, started off a little rough, but they're actually still in the top six here in the league. Um, and, and then, of course, I think the story of the season so far is has to be West Virginia because they've just far surpassed expectations. They sit at 2-0. and um, They have a real possibility, I think, with the way they perform so far to keep continuing that climb. Uh, trust the climb, I guess. <laughs> no pun intended there. Um, and, and I think it's interesting because – Kansas State and TCU, you expected to see a little bit of a fall off after losing some talent, but they sit in the bottom half with us. 
and you know yep. Baylor down there too and a lot of people expected them to be up so this this I think you know kind of back and forth there's a lot of you know blow trading here I think it's going to be really interesting when you take this and then you fast forward to next season when you lose yeah. Texas and Oklahoma who are both top three teams right now um, and they're both top 10 in the nation I think it's going to be interesting because there's going to be a lot more parity um, and I think a lot more opportunities for the Bearcats but of course Looking at this year, we still have a lot of chances on our schedule to take advantage of that. And, and well, I think and also it seems like team. it flipped too from our preseason expectations, Justin, where we talked about on this podcast how we were missing the top four teams from last year's Big 12 standings. We're like, oh, yeah, this is great. Maybe we got a little bit of a lucky draw. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, Baylor, UCF, and Houston still are probably on the bottom half of that. But, you know, got to play Oklahoma, got to play BYU so far. Both those teams don't look too bad. Um, Oklahoma looks pretty good. I do think the Armageddon scenario for the Big 12 where Texas and Oklahoma play for the championship is <laughs> probably going to happen, unfortunately, with K-State dropping a weird game. Uh, come on, Wildcats. I bet on y'all live because I was like, okay, Kansas State is not going to lose to Oklahoma State after beating them 48 nothing last year. But, you know, it's a weird year for the league. So, yeah, I, I, and it's kind of one of those leagues where anything can happen on any Saturday. And I'm really looking forward to the rest of the rest of the year. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, this is this is my last point on this before we head to the pressers. The again, kind of back on the West Virginia thing. You know, I think there is a chance, actually. And of all teams that you would have expected to be there, I think West Virginia could be that team that could shake things up and could knock out a Texas or an Oklahoma um, only because they're, you know, so far undefeated in the big 12, you know, we can definitely pump the brakes on West Virginia. I'm not high on them by any means, but I think that they've proven that in tight games, their past three are 17, six, 20 to 13 and 24, 21. I think they've proven that they can come out on top in a one score kind of game. And that's, that's what matters. I mean, um, you know, Satterfield mentioned this today and I'll hit this in a second, but um, you know, winning the turnover battles is a huge thing here. And I think when they have at Houston, Oklahoma state at UCF and BYU at home as their next four games, all of those are very winnable for a team that clearly has shown that they could do it so far. Granted against Texas tech and TCU who have proven not to be very good so far this year. But um, I, I think the other four teams other than maybe BYU there has proven so far to not be very good. So I think that's an interesting proposition when they get uh, Oklahoma on the road right before they play us, which I think will be interesting. But all that aside, uh, I did mention a point there on what Satterfield had said today, um, and I want to lead off with this. So this week's presser, I think, was kind of interesting. They had Sat, Dorian Jones, and Emery Jones. Um, and, and I think the most interesting thing that he pulled um, stat-wise here was that of all the teams that won this week in the Big 12, they created 13 combined turnovers. The teams that lost created two. And that I think is just proves everything that we've been saying so far this year is the Bearcats inability to create turnovers has really hurt them. And, and I, I think it's not only that it's, it's one thing to give up turnovers, but it's another thing to not be able to get them. And I, I think that's kind of where the, your disadvantages is because traditionally with such a stout defensive team, you've expected that the Bearcats will always create turnovers and your defense will always give you those opportunities. Now the defense is doing their job. They're holding teams, you know, down for the most part. 
and, and it doesn't help when our offense might struggle, give a turnover. And now you have to put a, you know, tired defense right back out on the field as we saw against BYU. But I think going forward, there should be a very heavy emphasis on creating turnovers on the de- defensive side, because I think they've done just about everything else that we can ask of them, but just finding the right lane for an interception, finding a way to create a fumble, finding a way to do anything that gets us that ball, just in a little bit better field position, flip the momentum when you've got some of these road games too, I think is going to be huge. And if we can do that, I think we're going to turn the key on this offense really fast because we just need to give them that extra bit of room to work with um, and, and surprise some of these defenses. And again, I think the only reason that our defense has let up some more points in some of these games is because they've been tired out because they just got off the field. And so if you yep. can do that to the other team's defense, you're cooking with gas. So I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, yeah. yeah, I completely agree. Um, and I do think this is the last thing I'm ever going to say about the 2023 <laughs> Miami game, and then we can put it to bed. You ever hear me talking about it again on this podcast, Justin? Shut me down immediately. I'll shoot you. Execute yes. style. With a gun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so here's the thing. I think the big part of that game that really trying to – almost changed the tide even after that first big shot was when the Bearcats had that interception and got the ball in Miami's red zone first quarter weren't able to punch that in gives Miami that extra hope if you punch that touchdown in maybe Miami's like okay this is just another year you know where they might have been able to come back but that's just another part of a lead you build for yourself and you know again we don't have to rehash that game it sucked let's officially move on I'm burying that hatchet Burying it right now. For like the fifth time, we're burying that hatchet. <laughs> yes, yes. But with the Oklahoma game, um, too, the Bearcats were able to force that fumble when mm-hmm. Oklahoma was in the red zone, immediately nuke one of their red zone opportunities that probably helped keep the game that close. Yep. And you're right, Justin, like, you know, BYU, credit to BYU, they were able to play a pretty good game, pretty, like, you know, turnover-free game. Um, And then we were able, that was one of the big reasons why we were able to jump out early in the second half at Pitt is we got that big, uh, fumble recovery right away and went up 27 six like that was that was great to just end the start off the second half that way so i i do agree it's got to be turnovers got to be able to find a way to get the ball hawks back out again um and i i hope maybe this is something like a point of pride for the guys that's like okay you know we haven't been doing so well in this department let's see if we can get one this week you know turn it turn yeah. it around because that 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 only helps the defense. It only motivates them to play with more confidence and more like more of an energy if they know that they can you know make some stops, take the ball away, and play complimentary football. Yeah, and I mean this is a you know this is a big fix thing, of course. But on the sidelines, like I just feel like that's the part that's like felt very missing is like you'd always see the cutaways like bang. Go straight to the sidelines and somebody's dunking a football because they got the turnover. And it's like, where is, where is that energy? Because it's very missing. Like, it's just, we just, again, we haven't really seen any of that and not that we need some kind of celebratory thing like that, but I'm saying like those kind of cutaways, like you just don't have because this defense has lacked that all season long. Yeah, I was going to say, we keep running to the end zone this year. It's the more of like the pro style celebration. I'm like, come on, man. Like, we got to have something. Like, <laughs> maybe we just get Skyline Chili and just start dousing dudes and cheese or Shotgun something. I don't know. Skyline Chili. That's Hey, the Oklahoma dudes did it on our field. Why can't we? That's true. Thank you for <laughs> uh, celebrating tradition here in Cincinnati. Yes. Um. So, 
Sack kind of keyed into Iowa State a little bit, and I think we'll wait until we kind of talk about that a bit more. But um, specifically, part of their focus on the bye week, uh, one of the biggest ones was just to recoup the players, kind of give you know a little bit more focus on just staying healthy. I will say we're going to knock on wood. We have done a very good job of that so far this year. Granted, we're only through week five, but, and I think that's another one of the things that's kind of felt a little bit annoying about why this team hasn't gotten over the hump because traditionally we've suffered with a few injuries to some key players early. And we've had some guys out like full season long before even snap one of the season. And and so without missing some of those key guys and without having any of those guys out, We're like, why is this thing not going? We've got everybody healthy. All of the pieces are there. We just need to put one and two together and, and, you know, make some points um, and and create some wins. But I I think that's been the struggle here. Um, He did also mention too, which I I think is an interesting proposition. I'm curious to hear what your opinion is on this, Steve. But um, he, he had mentioned that a lot of people have so far, which I think he does listen to the noise, which, you know, take it or leave it, but he said that a lot of people, you know, kind of see the wins and losses and then think that the sky is falling when it's not adding up. And I don't know. I, I, I would say in a way I agree. I also disagree because that's just kind of a easy out. But at the same time, like I, I do think there is a bit of an overreaction still. We are in year one. People it is very easy to forget how many transfers are on this team. It is very easy to forget that this is a new system. A lot of these defensive players haven't necessarily played the scheme that Brian Brown's running. A lot of these offensive players are adjusting to Satterfield's scheme. And this is a new team for so many of these guys. So to expect everything to be P's and Q's put together so fast, I think is pretty difficult, but I am curious to know like what your you know thoughts are on specifically how this has added up so far and does the does the two and three warrant the discussion that it's getting or do you think we should pump the brakes a little bit and give them some time yeah so i would say that you know obviously first year coaching staff they do need some time but i can't blame people for being impatient when this program kind of seemed turnkey like over the last couple of years like okay yeah 2022 was a down year but they should be ready to go and obviously the coach left and got a, got a bunch of turnover. And I do think it's going to be hard for, you know, any coach to step in a year one after that kind of situation and where they had a lot of roster turnover. And this is not a Dion style coach where he's able to just recruit a bunch of dudes and we're able to turn it around that quickly. Um, But I, Justin, I'm going to look at it this way though. I think it's a good thing though, that there's enough care about this program now that, we're we've lost three games within five of our within our first five games of the season and people are just losing their minds and (laughs) you know there was a time when cincinnati football about 20 years ago they could have lost their first 10 games and i don't think anybody would have cared and i think like you know obviously people were cracking jokes a couple weeks ago about how you know this is a football school now because we're losing our minds when basketball hasn't made the tournament for four years no one really seems to care We'll talk about that. I do care about <laughs> basketball still. There's still a little part of my heart, Justin, that has grown up loved loving the basketball Bearcats and will always love basketball season in Cincinnati. But I think it just speaks to the greater following around the program now that 
people are upset that we've lost this many games so early in the season. And I think that's okay to see where we're at after last year. And also like to not do the, not to really do the comparison game, but you know, look at Louisville right now as well, new coach, and they have still a lot of Satterfield players and they're five and zero now, whether you want to take the side of Jeff Brom instantly came in, turned over a little bit of that roster and boom, Mm -hmm. they're good. So maybe sat can recruit, or you say, what was Sat doing to hold back that roster? And then, like, you know, what, why is it not working out so well here? I will say this, though. I think it was a little bit of a tough transition year for him. Um, I am a little bit suspect about the him wanting Emory Jones even at Louisville. Like, if Emory, he just wanted Emory just when he got to Cincinnati and he didn't really have any other options, then maybe, but it was a little bit like, I mean, no offense to Emory, but like, what are we doing with that? You know, like, <laughs> so, so uh, I'll get off my negative point here by saying this, Justin, would it be worse if we were two and three and no one was asking the tough questions or no one was upset? Yes, definitely. And I think it's okay to understand that we know that the big 12 was going to be a step up and we make fun of the UCF fans, you know, for just having unrealistic expectations, but UC was just there last year. Like, even though yeah. we lost a bunch of dudes to the NFL and a couple of the transfer portal and such, we, I think the words college football playoff were still uttered in the 2022 <laughs> preseason buildup amongst they these. They were. So we can't, like, you know, point, point at the splinter in somebody else's eye without taking out the pillar from our own to take a Bible quote. Uh, shout out to Baylor. See y'all next week. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, it's just, I don't know. It's just good though to me. And I think programs always need just a crazy level of fandom, especially in college football. And I think if we're going to get that crazy level of fandom, this is probably like, it sucks for Sat because he's got to deal with it every mm-hmm. day, but you know, I think we we kind of need that. If we're going to be a Big 12 program, Power 5 program that really cares about this stuff and doesn't just wait till basketball season or, oh, Bengals are on, you know, we're going to go watch right. them. I think it's okay to have that level of care because it shows that apathy is not set in. There's still a level of care there. Yeah, and, and I think the biggest thing for me is just the expectations. Like, like you said, if, if you, if you backtrack like 20 years, like I don't think anybody had an expectation even for a bowl game. And then, you know, you go a little bit farther forward and now it's like, okay, we're making bowl games. Okay. Now we have like national championship expectations. And then you're trying to like pull things together a little bit more and make some more progress. And you have some up years, you have some down years, but it's all upward trajectory. And and now I think the expectation is, well, we liked that. We enjoyed the taste that we had. Like, I'm not going to give that up. Like, you know, if, if you have that in your back pocket, you're always going to remember that. And until you get 10 years of just absolute apathy and misery, everybody's still going to hold on to that. And I think that that's where the expectation should be and it should stay there. And so if Scott Satterfield is ready for those expectations and ready to meet that, then he will do well. If he's not and he can't live up to that, it is going to be a very short-lived career here. And that's just how it goes because – and that should be the expectation not only from the fans and the players, but that should be the expectation from the staff in the athletic department as well. This yeah. is not a this – is, this is a coveted job. 
And this is something that people should take seriously. And this is a job that you are expected to win. You are expected to make bowl games. You are expected to compete for championships. And if you're not doing that, there needs to be a hard look and some good dialogue about how we're going to change that in order to make that happen. And so there's only been one coach in the past 15 years, Justin, we can move on (laughs) that has been run out of town. And uh, he's, you can just look him up right now and uh, he's getting criticism for other things, but yeah, <laughs> he, even he will shared won a, a share of a conference title in Cincinnati, Justin, even he won nine games twice. This like is true. it's, it's not crazy to just think that UC should be a good football team and a good football program every year, no matter who the coach is right now. That's because that's what has been built over the past 15 years. And I'm not going to say that anybody is crazy for wanting to believe that even though we knew that the level of of competition was going to be a step up, that we should be able to compete on this level because we've seen nothing else but competition. Like we've had two losing seasons, three losing seasons, Justin, in the past 15 years, like our four, if you count, uh, if you include the first big, uh, big East year, like, yeah, that's pretty good. I, I like that's pretty good for any level of college football. Yeah, I so, mean we're probably averaging at least eight wins a season over yeah, that course look, of those fifteen years. It could see, be like, even more than that. Yeah. I, I would imagine it'd have to be higher than eight, but yeah. it might not be nine. Um, regardless, I think that that's a really interesting you know point of view too. Um, and I think you know if we're transitioning specifically to this season, um, I, he mentioned something that got a lot of people stirred up today and a little rattled and so and specifically a player got rattled by this too um and we're not going to make a whole lot out of it because i think people did take it out of context there was good context in the situation um but somebody had asked satterfield about um you know just kind of like creating you know some of these big plays i think chad had actually asked him about like we haven't had some of these break open like 60 70 yard plays some of these like really really long plays that allow you to just score some big touchdowns. And he specifically mentioned that this is one of his first classes in the past, like 10 or 12 years that he's not had explosive running backs. And that got a lot of people doing exactly what you're doing, raising your eyebrow. And at first I was kind of like, when I first started, I was like, I was like, I was taken aback. I was like, what do you mean? I was like this roster. I was like, you just like dug your own grave with this team. But like, when he gave some clarification, it made sense because it is true when you think about it. We have, and, and he said this specifically, we have the running backs that can get you the first down. We have the running backs that can get you the 25, the 30 yards. You can get those giant chunk plays, but you might not necessarily have those explosive plays where you're running the full field. You might not have the Jerome Fords right now. You might not have the Mike Warrens that are going to burn the entire field you have the guys who are going to get those big chunk plays because it is true. Just about every time that Corey Kiner has broke open for a long stretch of field and has nothing but grass, somebody's caught up to him. And it's true. He gets tackled. Like there are a lot of these, there's a lot of these times where like Corey has opened up some of these bigger plays and somebody still catches up to him. And I think that that's just kind of one of those things. That's not him. Like he is going to plow through and he's going to get you those first downs and he does it very consistently. But is he the guy that's just going to go stretch you out for 80 yards? Probably not, unless you've got a really, unless you've got all your defensive linemen and your corners and your safeties, everybody's pulled really up close to the line. And so he did, he started a lot of people, and Miles Montgomery specifically commented on that and said, terrible take. (laughs) 
And so I don't know what to make of that. I hope that nothing else is going to come out of that because I do think like there was some logic in what he was getting at and it wasn't necessarily like, and, and he complimented them by saying, we have a very effective offense and counter that by saying we have the 12th best or 12th or 13th best offense in the country run, rushing offense, which is very true. That is a compliment. I think what he's just getting at is that he's, we haven't had those guys that are necessarily going to do that from the running game. And he is a running game type of coach, but there's also not a lot of excuses as to why we that's there's still no solution. Why aren't we making those big plays? And do you know, you know who has control over play calling in the roster? Oh yeah. No, sir. There you go. Yeah. Sir. Very simple. Is it not you? <laughs> I, I just, that's a weird quote. Um, well, let's file that in the quiver for later. Um, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, um, all right, uh, you want to get a couple of these other uh, quotes real yeah, quick, yeah, yeah. and then. Um, and so I, I think one of the biggest thing too is where I look at this perspective is, you know, I, I think a few of these changes are really small that unlock your offense, that unlock your defense, that unlock these turnovers, that unlock limiting your turnovers and your mistakes. And you can kind of convert those into some of these wins. Um, and he did say too, like in doing that, you don't necessarily have to completely overhaul everything just because, you know, you have a few losses. A lot of these losses are very close. And I, I don't know as I probably will catch some flack for this, but I'm still on the Satterfield train. I'm not off of, how do I put it? I'm not, I'm, I am aboard the Satterfield train. I am not in the first car. I am sitting closer to the caboose. I'm not looking to jump ship, but I'm also not necessarily enjoying myself either. I'm in the bar car. There you go. You're in the bar car. We're getting fucked up. Moving oh, on well, to well, <laughs> here, real quick. Yeah. You know, who is a big playmaker that Scott Satterfield uh, recruited to his old roster at Louisville and maybe could have asked to come with him to UC uh, Jawar Jordan. And you know where Louisville is five and oh. So, I mean, maybe he's got a point there, but like, I don't know, like, you know how Saban like will like talk to his own roster and right. players and stuff in his press conferences. I feel like it's not never as pointed as that though. I feel like it's like, you know, if they don't come out to play this Saturday, then they're going to be like, you know, it's things like that. It's not like right. well, our running backs can't really be home run hitters. I'm like that. I mean, what's the point of that? I mean, Brett Bielema just did that last year and then they won what eight games. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, it's, it's an interesting perspective to take. Um, and like I said, I don't think there was anything negative meant behind it. I think it was just kind of one of those things where it's more about how can we, you know, convert some of these larger plays. Um, specifically on Emery and Dorian, just a few notes here. Um, you know, I think what I heard from both of them was just preaching the importance of making the tiny little corrections here and there, trying to like striving for, sorry, Ugh striving for perfection and ensuring that, you know, you aren't making those ticky tack little mistakes that are going to get, you know, be costly. Like we've said, where it might just be one or two plays that cost you a game. Uh, and if you can avoid those and you can play a little bit closer to the lines, you might end up finding a win in there. Um, and, and I think both of them, like I said, really focused on that. Um, and, you know, overall, the answers on morale. I think they they have pretty much said like morale is still good. It's just everybody's trying to like, you know, 
find a way to end up putting some W's on the board, which at the end of the day is all that we could want. Um, jumping into Iowa State here real quick as our um, you know quick preview. Iowa State looks very good defensively, as they always do. Um, Iowa State has looked really clean so far this year. Um, they have not really given uh, defenses any sacks. They've, I think it's been like two maybe um, on the year, which is really good considering how young their team is. Um, they've been very, very good at creating turnovers, um, creating interceptions. And I think that that's going to be key for Emory to really pay attention to. Um, especially if we want to get some of those bigger plays, we've got to be really careful because they like to drop a lot of guys back. They give some really strong coverage and we have to ensure that we're not going to be passing into these lanes where you've got two or three guys sitting back there waiting to pick the ball off, um, which is what Iowa state does very well. And that's why a lot of their games are very tight and close games. It's because they are able to create those turnovers and they are able to, um, you know, shut down some offenses. And I think this is my biggest concern because I look at Iowa State's offense and I don't necessarily see any flashing lights there, but I do see their defense and the current state of our offense as of late. And I am a little bit concerned because a lot of people, I think, still chalk this up to like, all right, we've got some energy. Let's go in. Let's beat Iowa State. It's homecoming. Nothing can go wrong because everything else has gone wrong so far. We're going to write the ship this week. I don't know. I'm still a little nervous because I think Iowa State does look solid enough around the boards. They're a scrappy team and they're able to keep up with you neck and neck. And that is the type of team that if your offense hadn't figured it out, does not figure it out over the bye week, you're screwed. Like you are going to be playing. It's going to be a, a field goal or one score game. Yes, but you might not be on the right side of it. So we have to really be playing perfection this week. Otherwise we are going to struggle and we might not end up with that W that we've been hoping and praying for over the last like basically month so far uh, with the bye week So that's the big thing there. Bearcats minus four and a four and a half. Uh, four in the hook is a little bit weird. It started off as UC minus three too, which was uh, interesting. Um, I, I, this would be, if I was a neutral better, I would, this would just be a complete stay away game for me. I have no idea what they're seeing with the line. They probably are just trying to reel them in. Um, I just want to see if the running game, if maybe Satterfield put a little motivation back there and maybe they can reel something off. I Iowa state is only allowing 133 rushing yards a game. So maybe we can fish out a touchdown. Hey, there we go. Oh. Go to Bass Pro Shops and get some get some fishing done. Reeling them in, boys. This is a bait Reeling game if in. I've ever seen it. Do not take that four and a half. Just no. do not bet on this game. Please, yeah. for the love of Christ, don't bet on this game. This, I definitely feel, is going to be a field Even goal. Even you, Cyclone Larry, don't bet on this game. Just don't. It's, it's bad juju, juju to bet on your Bearcats and bet on your own team anyways. Don't do it on a homecoming where you're trying to right the ship after three straight losses and you're playing a team that is basically the best defense in this conference aside from Oklahoma. This is going to be, I don't know. No, I, I'm going to watch this game and pray. That is what I'm going to do this week. Um, that aside, we're going to touch on basketball real quick and then we're going to get into our Bearcat sports wrap up. We had a visit from Rothstein today. Um, and there was a few notes, which I found interesting. He also visited Norwood state university while he was in town. So 
uh, or Norwood State Community College. Sorry, not a Jesuit university. Tech. Yes, Jesuit Tech. Thank you. Um, what do we got, Steve? Real quick. So Rothstein says that Seamus Lukosius will play a big part this in this season and being the core of this team and mentioned how adept he is at setting the table, something that you talked about with Wes's press conference. I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, he also says that Day-Day Thomas should play major minutes and will allow Jizzle James to slide off the ball. But this was the most interesting tweet that he had from yesterday's visit to practice. Early projecting starting five without waivers, Jizzle Jizzle James, Seamus Lacocious, CJ Frederick, Odio Guama, and Victor Lockin. But if you take out those, if you add those two transfers in, I think you're going to have a starting five of all transfers, Justin, because you'll have uh, Jamil and Aziz Bendigo uh, <laughs> slot in there to the four and five. That's kind of interesting. I just want to see how they'll mesh this year, just because, you know, I mean, Maybe Kentucky fans are more used to just having five new dudes start every year, but I don't know if we really are. So I know there's a lot of turnover this this year, and if the recruiting that ever that Wes is doing right now says says anything, we're gonna have a lot more turnover, and maybe some guys will be leaving a little bit early. So shout out to Mister Betsy for committing to be a Bearcat class of 2024, yes, big four star wing for us. Uh, Wes, man, he's been getting those wins on the recruiting trail. I just hope we can really turn it on this year. Another John tweet. Uh, said the Bearcats have to enter conference play at 10 and three or 11 and two to realistically have a shot. But, and then I will add that I think West Virginia went like something like uh, seven and 11 last year in big 12 conference play and they made uh, the tournament. So anything can happen as long yep. as we enter in and we have a pretty cake non-conference schedule. So here's my question for you though, Justin, we'll get into basketball in a couple weeks, but will John Rothstein ever create a tweet? For West oh Miller. yeah, it's happening. It's gonna happen this season. It's been two years. I mean, like, does he it's, create tweets in year three? Oh, he. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. The magic is there. We're gonna find a way. <clears throat> Hopefully, it's the good tweet and not the bad tweet. Um, as he does love to fire not off the on both ends of brutality. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let's let's hope and pray that that is not happening to our. What was the tweet schedule. he had about Cincinnati? I think it was because like he uh, somebody wouldn't let him in or whatever, and then we lost. Oh He's yeah. Like, like a yeah. dead program or something. Like, yeah. We're oh, back, John. <laughs> not not all the way back. We're we're getting there. So. Um, I will just say, everybody, like we've seen this year with football, where we thought we might have been better, and then conference play started. Let's just let's just keep the expectations real low this year, especially with if we don't get the waivers approved. Then we'll see where we go from there. Justin, do you mind if I wrap up the show with a little Bearcat Sports wrap up? Go right ahead. All right, here we go, everyone. Bearcat Sports wrap up. Three, two, one. Soccer, the women defeated Oklahoma State and drew against Oklahoma this past weekend at Gettler Stadium, and they are headed to Baylor Thursday, and they will host UCF Sunday for Senior Day. Volleyball, they picked up a weekend split at TCU Friday, this Friday and Saturday, and they are hosting Baylor Thursday and Friday night. Men's golf is in the thick of Big 12 match play right now, and they will head to Florida this weekend for the Quail Valley Invitational. Women's golf will also visit Florida this weekend for the Pam Bradley Invitational at FIU. Tennis, they swept matches against Norwood Tech and Miami at the Pam Whitehead Invitational this weekend at the Talbert Traber Tennis Center. Shout out to them. Cross country rolls up to Bradley, Illinois to race in the Bradley Pink Classic. Swimming and diving rolls up to Illinois to face Northwestern for their first meet of the season. Baseball plays a fall ball game on Sunday at home against Norwood State. And hockey plays a home game against Michigan this weekend. So shout out to all those Bearcat sports 
make sure you get out there and support them. They deserve our support, our support just as much as some of these other teams we talk about. Thank you very much, Steve. You're getting really good on that clock, uh, making this pretty fast. All right. Well, I have one thing to send us off. And that is to not forget to visit our lovely sponsors over at Charlie Hustle. These guys will keep you fresh, give you some sweet attire for the entire season. Of course, they have so many of the Big 12 teams covered, as well as many other schools. So make sure to check them out. Find some T-shirts, hoodies, sweatpants. Christmas is coming up very soon. You might have to shop for some relatives. So make sure to check that out. Go to their site. Use the promo code 101215 for 15% off of all non-sale items. And find you some Charlie Hustle. That's all we've got. Thanks for joining us today, guys. We'll make sure to uh, update you here after the game this Saturday. We are very excited to hopefully put a W on the board. Steve, let's send this off with a Jameis Winston. That's a W. Sports Social Podcast Network.